Take your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 35, if you would please. Exodus chapter number 35 in your Bibles this morning. I trust you have a word of God with you. If you do not, then please find someone close and look into their Bible with them this morning as we consider uh, Mother's Day message. I am not much of a uh, time we came to these times of seasons. I, I, I typically just preach through the, 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 uh, the scriptures, but when we come to this day, have a special day. Uh, I, I hesitate just saying it's for mothers. It's not just for mothers. Uh, this the scripture this morning, the passage is for all of us, but uh, the focus, the emphasis will certainly be on mothers this morning. I've entitled our message, our time together, A Wise-Hearted Woman. A wise-hearted woman. Exodus chapter 35. Begin reading with me in verses 1. And we'll read down through verse number 10. And come back and pick up some other verses as we get into the message. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together. And said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall, be, uh, six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram's skins dyed red, and badger's skins, and shittim wood, and oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, and onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod, and for the breastplate, and every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. Uh, here we find a passage of Scripture when God is giving to Moses some things to tell and to instruct and care for the children of Israel, but particularly the tabernacle in the wilderness, and some things that are need to be done. And, and God says to, to Moses, to tell the people that they are to bring an offering. And he mentions, I want you to note out of verse number 10. And every wise hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. Every wise hearted among you. To be wise hearted is a very special, special thing. And then let me just say as we begin our, service, our time this morning in the word of God. God wants every single one of us and every single one of you, me, to be wise-hearted. And we can have that. And that's a, something that's available to each and every individual. When we come to Mother's Day, we think about this passage of Scripture. And we'll see in just a few moments how we direct it towards the women. But again, I just don't want to leave it there. I think it's available for all. We come to Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a morning, of course, when we set aside to celebrate, to to, to honor our mothers, many of you are here, and we noted a few moments ago, many are watching by way of live stream. A mother uh, by the name of Julia Ward Howell is given the distinction of setting forth and establishing a day that we call today as Mother's Day. Howell was an American poet who, by the way, also penned the words for the Battle Hymn of the Republic. 
In 1870, after seeing the carnage of the Civil War, Miss Howe called for a celebration of what she called at that time a Mother's Day of Peace. It was to be held on June the 2nd every year. And she sought to get that established. And she was not very successful at that point. But she did inspire others. And others came behind after her. And 36 years later, another lady by the name of Anna Jarrus from West Virginia set forth again to establish a day that would commemorate and honor our mothers. And her mother, she had watched and uh, who being inspired of the previous lady had done some things to try to bring together the Civil War, the mothers who had lost their family and, and husbands and others, and men in the Civil War. And it started out as what was called Mother's Friendship Day. Again, the purpose was to bring and reunite families that had been divided during the Civil War. What a horrendous conflict that was. And at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia, on a Sunday morning service, May 9th, 1908, was the first day that a celebration was gathered. It was called Mother's Day. By uh, 1914, May 8th, 1914, U.S. Congress passed a day, a law designating the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. The very next day, President Woodrow Wilson made a proclamation making Mother's Day a national holiday. And all Americans on that day, he made that proclamation, on that day all Americans were to fly the flag half-staff, honoring the mothers and those who lost sons during the war. It said that Miss Jarvis, the, the one that later on that came from West Virginia, became so disturbed about the commercialization of Mother's Day that she sought to literally have it abolished after it began. She worked hard to even stop it after it all had started. And she was very distressed about this. She spent the latter part of her life, she was admitted to a sanatorium where she died. Uh, before that happened, she was so distressed over this commercialization of, of Mother's Day that she wrote... A printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy, she said, you take a box to mother and then eat the most of it yourself. A sorry sentiment that is. You can just see it. She is a little bit embittered about all of this. Uh, the moral of this story is write more in the card than is written. And don't eat the candy you give mom, okay? Be careful about that. It's interesting that she eventually died in uh, May, 20, May 24th, 1948. And all of her funeral and medical bills were paid for by people who were connected with the floral and greeting card industry. <laughs> I think that's quite interesting. Uh, who is it, what's the big name out there today that's selling greeting cards, you know? Uh, so make sure that you get it right on Mother's Day, okay? Now, Mother's Day is a day we set aside as one day. But really, to honor our mothers, but really, you think about it, it ought to be a day every day. It ought to be something we set aside every day. Now, 
I will admit, at the price of greeting cards today, maybe one day is probably all we can afford. You know, it might break us all up, but it, it, it's something to consider. It ought to be more than just one day. We go to our Bibles on this special day, and we find wonderful godly women, godly mothers as examples. The Bible's full of them, and praise God for that. And let me say that the Bible puts a very high value and premium on godly women and on godly mothers. The Bible, God, puts a very high premium and priority upon godly mothers and godly women. The best career path that a woman can ever take in life is to be a godly mother. The best career path is to be a godly mother who will say no to the world so that she might raise the next generation of children. She'd say no to the things that the world says that she must have, she must do, so that she can pour her life into the, some young ones and some children, so that they in turn might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, so that they in turn might give their lives, surrender their lives to, to serve the Lord in whatever capacity He would have them. But the, the goal is to, to raise up children to have a heart for God. That's the greatest career path that any woman could ever even hope to achieve. Uh, it's this reported, I heard it this week, and I'm sure many of you did as well, that, uh, that Bill Gates and his wife Melinda are divorcing after 27 years of marriage. The richest people in all the world, uh, they've come to realization that that money doesn't buy happiness. Divorce after 27 years. The newscast said that already that Miss Gates had already received $1.8 billion in stock revenue as a settlement in the divorce. While they may be the richest people monetarily in all the world, they are the poorest people spiritually in all the world. God is nowhere to be found in that kind of situation. You can have everything that the world says you must have and be as poor as you can possibly be without God. And that is the case. A family living, I believe a family living paycheck to paycheck, but has God in the center of that family um, and has the, the Word of God as their guide and has a good church to be a part of and to serve. I believe that family is richer and happier and fuller with God than the wealthiest families in all the world without God. In fact, the wealthiest without God are the poorest. They just don't understand it. They don't understand. They don't know it. But one day, without God, if they continue without God, that the wealthiest families, the wealthiest people in all the world without God will one day lose it all. It'll all be gone. They'll die and spend eternity in a place called hell without God if they don't receive Him as their personal Lord and Savior. They'll, they'll lose it all. But to die as a Christian, to die as a, as a believer in Christ, one who has trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to die as a Christian is to gain an inheritance that's like none other. To be a joint heir with Christ. Wow, what a day. Hebrews 9 and 15, the promise of an eternal inheritance. 
1 Peter 1 and 4, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Matthew 6 and 19 states, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor Rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's make sure that today and every day, on this Mother's Day and every day, that we're laying up treasures in the right place. In the right place. The ones laid up in heaven will pay eternal dividends forever. But the ones that are laid up here on earth, they can't even pay the sin debt. Can't even begin to pay what's needed to be paid. Let's make sure we're laying them up in the right place. Proverbs 1. Caleb read some of the passages this morning. Proverbs 1 verses 8 and 9. Solomon here he's, uh, uh, he's writing. He says, my son. Uh, he, that was Proverbs 31. But Proverbs 1. Solomon writes that passage. He says, he says these words. Solomon, the the wisest man on earth, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Hear the instruction and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains around about thy neck. Uh, Get it? That's not a ball and chain by any stretch of the imagination. That's an ornament of grace. The instruction of a mother and a father, a godly family, a godly leadership in the home. To have that and to grow up in that and to get a hold of that. It's an ornament of grace and it's an ornament of blessings forever within that family. It cannot be replaced. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Preacher said two little boys were in church one day and a preacher was preaching along and he said, he said, the preacher said, God is the only lawgiver that there is. And the little boy punched his brother next to him. And he says, the preacher must not have had a mommy. He says, because not only does God give the law, but mama gives the law too. He must not have had a mommy. The little boy was seen driving around the block of his, where he lived. He just kept going around and around and around the block driving. He was riding his bicycle. He wasn't driving. Riding his bicycle around. The little boy, uh, man stopped him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm running away from home. He said, why are you running away from home? Why do you keep going around the block just around and around? He says, because mama says I can't cross the street. Some of you get that in just a few moments. Sometimes it takes a mama to lay down the walls. Listen to what the Bible has to say. Listen to what truth and wisdom really is all about. George Washington said, The greatest teacher that I ever had was my mother. Theodore Roosevelt said, The mother is the one supreme asset a nation has. She is more important by far than the most successful statesman, businessman, artist, or scientist. The cartoon was... One day he was showing a little boy and he's on the phone and he's talking. And he's on the phone and he says, yes, mom's in the hospital. So the twins along with Ruthie and Billy and Sally and the dog and me and dad are all left at home alone by ourselves. 
Sometimes you moms feel like that, I guess. One 13-year-old boy came home one day and he saw mom and she was lying in the bed. And he's not used to seeing mom in the bed at all. And she's up early and late down at night and she was lying in the bed. And he asked her, he said, Mom, are you sick? What's wrong? And he, he seemed to be all concerned about that. And mom says, yeah, as a matter of fact, I really don't feel all that well right now. And, and, and I, I'll try to get up in a little bit. And the little boy says, well, Mom, I just want you to know. He's all concerned. I just want you to know. I don't want you to be worried at all about dinner. Don't be worried at all about dinner. When brother comes home, we're going to help carry you down to the stove. Some of you moms can say I identify with that as well. Don't hardly get a day off very often. Look with me at Exodus chapter number 35. I want us to notice some wise-hearted women this morning. Exodus chapter 35 verses 25 and 26. We read the passage where Moses calls the people for an offering to give and to establish the house of God. And we come to verse number 25, and it says, And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands, and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple, and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. Now, I dare say any of you are spinning goat's hair this morning. But the point of the passage is they were doing something in the service of the Lord. They were doing something that only they could do. In these verses, in verses 25 and 26, I think we're introduced to a group of wise-hearted women. In this full-hearted world, what we need today more than ever, I believe, is some wise-hearted people. Some wise-hearted mommies and wise-hearted daddies. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 31 and 26, She openeth her mouth, with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse number 11 of that chapter says, This woman's price is far above rubies. Who can find a virtuous woman like that? Who can find a woman that's of that value? Of one that, when she opens her mouth, it's full of wisdom. It's full of kindness. The Proverbs 31 woman was a woman who, by the way, was raising a king. We won't read the passage yet today at this point, but I encourage you to read it later. She was raising a king. She was raising a little boy who would later become a king. And that king, when he became the king, he was writing about his mother. Verse 1 of Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Think about that, Proverbs 31. It's, a, it's about a king writing about his mother and what his mother had taught him, and the things he had seen and, and experienced in growing up in a home where the mother was wise-hearted. King Lamuel learned to be king by listening to the wisdom of his mother. The king ruled the kingdom, but listen, the godly mother prepared the king. To rule the kingdom. Mom and daddy. You, you don't know what your children may do in life. We don't know where they'll be. We might be raising kings. Uh, we might be raising uh, uh, children that will go out and make a difference in the world. And I pray that all it will. But bottom line is we're raising children to love and to know the Lord. And they'll learn to love and to know the Lord. By the things that they learn within the home. Prepare them to be kings. Raise your children 
to have wisdom. And in order to have wisdom and to raise them that way, you and I are going to have to have wisdom ourselves. Out of these passages, out of Exodus chapter 35, I want us to notice several characteristics of a wise-hearted woman. Several characteristics of a wise-hearted woman. Number one, if you're taking notes, characteristic of a wise-hearted woman. First of all, a wise-hearted woman is obedient to God's command. She's obedient to God's command. The command was given out of verses 1 and following from Moses. And it says out of verse number 5, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let them bring it. Obedient to the words of God. Obedient to the commands of God. They didn't have to, but they got to. You know, sometimes we come to the things of God and we approach it that way. Do I have to? Do I have to do it this way? Do I have to do it that way? No, it ought not be do we have to, but in their opinion, they got to. It's a privilege to be able to serve God. It's a privilege to be called a Christian. It's a privilege to have this King James Bible. We can read and we can learn and we can grow by grace in. It's a privilege to have a church. We can come and listen to the Bible. We can come and teach the Bible. We can come and serve and reach a world with the gospel message. What a great privilege that is. It's not do I have to. It's praise the Lord I get to. They were generous to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord had been generous to them. There's not a mama here today, not, a, not an individual here today that said, God hadn't been good to me. God hadn't been good to me. In fact, we were able to get up this morning and, and breathe in air and exhale it and walk and come and, and, and listen and comprehend. God has been good to us. And we think about salvation, that Jesus Christ, what he did for us upon Calvary's tree. God has been good to us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is so good to us. Amen. A wise-hearted woman or a wise-hearted individual is obedient to God's command. Number two, a wise-hearted woman acts promptly when God's direction is given. She acts promptly or they act promptly when God's direction is given. We read verses 1 through 20 and Moses he gives all the instructions of the things that are to be brought in verse number 20 and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of the Lord so listen to the word of God they listened to the teaching of God from God and it says when they heard it they departed some people are just looking to boy I'd be glad when church is over with some are just looking to depart But not not only did they depart, but they departed with a plan. Look at verse number 21. And they came. When they heard the Bible, they departed with a plan. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up. And everyone whom his spirit made willing. They had a plan. They departed and then they came. They acted promptly. With God's direction. There was no procrastination. They didn't go home and say, well, let me just think about this for a little while. Let me just get, when I can fit it into my schedule, I'll work it out. I'll, I'll do what I can to, to fit it in. You know, life is so busy. 
And he, after all, this is, a, this is a tabernacle of God. This is something for the Lord. And, and you know, he's God. He didn't really need this. He didn't really need this tabernacle. He didn't need this place to worship. I'll get around to it. There was no procrastination. There was no debate. Well, this is so expensive. Do you believe that really Moses, God, did he tell you to bring all of this? There was no negotiations. Look at verses 22 through 24. And they came, both men and women, and as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewelry of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with him was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. And red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. These were things of value. And everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering. And every man with whom... Uh, was found shittim wood for, all, for any work of the service brought it. In verse 25, And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands. They did what they could. They did all that they could. They did what no one else could do. A wise-hearted woman is obedient to God's command. A wise-hearted woman acts promptly when God gives direction. And thirdly, notice a wise-hearted woman will allow their heart to be stirred. To do something for the Lord. A wise hearted woman will allow her heart to be stirred. To do something for the Lord. Verse number 28. In all the women whose heart stirred them up. In wisdom spun goat's hair. Now, these were things that were asked of Moses. Asked of the Lord. And they did what they could. Notice their hearts were stirred up within them. The idea here of being stirred up. To be stirred up here is the idea of, uh, in the Hebrew, it literally has the, the, the mindset behind it, to grab hold of. To grab hold of. When your heart gets stirred with God, He gets a hold of your heart. When God gets a hold of your heart, then something begins to happen for the service of the Lord. Now, these women were allowed and willing to have their hearts stirred to do something for the Lord. They had a key role to play, and they did it with the right heart attitude, which was for the glory of God. That's why we did what we did. That's why they did what they did. That's why the things that were taking place, that's why they went the extra mile. That's why they gave the way they gave. That's why they, why they worked the way they worked. They did it for the glory of God. Whose heart was stirred up within them. A stirring of the heart that was brought about by a love for God. Let me ask you this morning. What stirs your heart? What stirs our heart? Can we come to a church service and hear preaching and singing about the love of God and not have our hearts stirred? When's the last time we've had our hearts stirred by God and the Holy Spirit to well up within us, to get a hold of our hearts? And so oftentimes we are, I feel, at arm's length. God, you can deal in this area, you can have this area, but not this area. And we won't allow God to do anything in our hearts to stir us up, to get a hold of us. There is a, not only a love for God in this stirring up of their hearts, but I believe there's a tenderness a tenderness of the heart, allowing God to mold and direct the lives. Well, you see, 
people today and there's a hard-heartedness like never before. There seems to be such a hard-heartedness in people's lives. And so caught up in the political realm and the racism and all this mess that's going on out there. And it is a mess. So caught up. There's a hard-heartedness. But have a tender heart. God, keep my heart tender for you. God, keep my heart tender. Lord, I don't want to get to the place where I, I no longer, when I read the word, it no longer touches me. When I hear the songs, they no longer move me. Uh, God, when you're speaking to my heart at invitation time, that, that I'm more worried about what people think about me that, rather than what God already knows about me. Tender-hearted. God, work, mold my heart. These wise-hearted women allowed God to stir their hearts to do something for the Lord. Notice with me just one more before we close this morning. Look one more at Exodus chapter number 38. Exodus chapter number 38. Here the things had been brought. And by the way, there had been so much brought uh, in this offering that Moses said, you don't need to bring any more. we got more than we can do with here. We come to Exodus chapter 38, and now they're putting all these things together, and we come to the place where they're actually providing for the furnishings of the tabernacle. Notice with me, through 8. And he made the altar of wood, offering of shittim wood, five cubics was the length thereof, and five cubics the breadth thereof, and it was four square and three cubics the height thereof. And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. The horns thereof were of the same. And he overlaid it with brass. And he made all the vessels of the altar, the pots and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the fire pans and all the vessels whereof made he of brass. Here they're making an altar. This altar would be the place of sacrifice. And so they would make this out of shittim wood and they would overlay it with brass and then nail the, the utensils, the things out of verse number 3 we mentions, that he mentions here are also made. Verse 4, he made for the altar a brazen grate of network under the altar, under the camp, compass thereof, beneath the midst of it. It was the place where the ashes would fall. And he cast four rings for the four ends of the grate of brass to be, place, uh, to be places for the staves. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with brass. And he put the staves into the rings on the sides of the altar to bear it with all. And he made the altar hollow with boards. And he made the laver of brazen. And the foot of it of brass. Notice this. He made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass and of the looking glasses. Look, look what he did, how he made them. These were made of the looking glasses of the woman, of the women assembling. And the assembling at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He made them out of the mirrors that the woman, that the women had. These women were gathered there at the door of the tabernacle and there were still some things that needed to be made and still some things that needed to be provided for. Here I believe we find the picture of a woman whose priorities of life, a wise-hearted woman whose priorities of life are unselfish. The labor of brass was made of, of Things that the women would look into. They were mirrors. 
And these laborers would not only, see, not only care for the, uh, the things around the altar and taking care of that, but they would also be a, a place where the women, excuse me, the priests would come and they, would, they could bathe and they could wash their hands and, and wash their face and take care of the situation like this. These women practice a selfless kind of love for the Lord. They gave their looking glasses, their mirrors of brass. I won't dare ask this morning. How many stood before a mirror this morning? I don't know this by experience. I'm just saying. I've been told. A lady will spend hours in front of a mirror. I have no way of knowing that. Spending hours in front of a mirror just to make sure that every detail is cared for. Every detail, every situation, every circumstance is cared for. But I want you to note, these ladies gave up their mirrors. You say, wow, is that a little thing? Oh, no. Not in that day. Now, just to calm your nerves, we're not going to take up a mirror offering after the service. Keep your mirrors. We're not going to take up any mirror offerings. The point of the passage is, They were unselfish in their denial and devotion to the Lord. Unselfish. One writer said, The contribution of the looking glass for the making of the labor must have been greater and a greater act of sacrifice for these female donors than it first appears. Looking glasses were artifacts of different manufacture, difficult manufacture, and very rare, highly prized, even above golden ornaments. These women, they were gathered at the tabernacle, and they made worship a priority. And they were willing to give their most cherished possessions, willing to give the thing that gave them their identity. That gave them uh, their place and, and, and enabled them to be who they felt like they needed to be. And, and, and these were the most precious things. But they were willing to give them to the service of the Lord. The practice of unselfish devotion to the Lord. A wise-hearted woman. Some of us men could maybe use some of those mirrors every now and then. But a wise-hearted woman, the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that her children rise up and call her blessed. Question this morning, do you desire to be that wise-hearted person? The one that's got a practice to serve the Lord. It's just being willing to say, God, I want to be obedient to whatever you want me to do. Whatever you've called me to do. Lord, I've heard you speaking in my heart. And Lord, I've been been vacillating back and forth. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Lord, I'm just going to step out and trust you by faith and live by faith here. Lord, you commanded, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put some priorities in my life. I'm going to put you first place in my life. And God, if you're calling me to be selfless, I'd be willing to be selfless. And God, would you help me raise this next generation to love you and to serve you? And God, I want to be that wise-hearted individual. Not just a woman, but a daddy. I want to be that wise-hearted individual. 
And Lord, I don't have that wisdom, but I cry out to you this morning and say, God, I know that you do. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who give it to all men liberally. God, I need a liberal dose of your wisdom. Lord, I don't know how to do it, but I know that you do. So I'm going to put my faith, I'm going to put my trust, I'm going to believe in you, and I'm going to wait upon you to make a difference. Lord, work in my heart so that I may in turn work in the hearts of my children and my grandchildren that we might literally see, as the book of Acts says, the world turned upside down for the cause of Christ. Do you believe God can do that? I do. And I believe He'll do it as soon as God's people say, God, I need you. And we cry out to Him and say, Here's all of me, Lord. Use me for your namesake. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're watching my way of live stream, can I encourage you? Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. And He says to you, I've got wisdom for you as well. The first place to begin is the wisdom of salvation. Understand you can do nothing to save yourself. Jesus did it all. Upon Calvary's tree, He paid the sin debt and the penalty of our sins. We'll accept Him by faith. Receive Him. We can be born again. That's the place where wisdom begins. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never been saved. That's the place to start. And then step out following the Lord. Moving forward with Christ. Being obedient to His Word. Being selfless with our lives. And saying, Lord, here am I. Here's my life. Use me. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.